Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsborough, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor Podcast. Brenna, so excited to have you here. And I was just sharing the email for those of you who did not get to see the email. It said, what do savvy investment financing and award-winning country music singer, singer Dolly Parton <laughs> have in common? Here she is. It is Brenna Carls. She has experience with both. You read that right. Just such a special thing to me. I thought it was awesome when we first saw you in that throwback photo with Dolly. I don't know. I'm such a fan of hers. I just love her. <laughs> she is an awesome person. <laughs> A diva indeed. So super excited to have you here to share your wealth of knowledge. So for those of you who have not met her yet, Brenna Calls is the founder, co-founder of The Mortgage Shop. She has closed over a hundred million in real estate in 2022. <laughs> Hello. I mean, that is amazing. So no pun intended, but she is a wealth of knowledge as well. When I first met Brenna, what I loved about you, Brenna, is that you were able to think outside of the box, right? You weren't just going by a script. So guys, if you're buying STRs and you're speaking to lenders that are reading off of a script, you're doing it wrong because this is some off script stuff. It's going to require different transactions, a whole different mindset and thought process. And Brenna, she was here first. She was like, okay, if you do this, here's the scenario. If you do that, here's the scenario. But here's this new thing that's coming out as well. We can maybe look at it this way. What is it that you're trying to accomplish, right? So you come with her with your goals intact and she and her team will definitely figure out a way to help make it happen for you. So I'm super, super excited to have you with us, Brenna. I feel as though I didn't give you a full and proper introduction, but I'm going to let you do so. So go for it, Brenna. Tell the people who you are. Yep. So my name is Brenna. I used to be a background singer for Dolly Parton before that was when I was really exciting. That was before I retired. And now I own a mortgage company. How does that work. It doesn't really, but I did my primary residence alone while I was singing and I fell in love with the process. I love the organization of it. And that's how I got into it. I started interning in the mornings before I would have to perform at night. And then I just slowly got into it that way. I actually fully stepped into it after the wildfires happened in our area in the Smoky Mountains. And I knew that was my sign to get in it full time. And then ever since then, I've just been hitting the ground running. We closed over 200 million in loan volume last year for our clients. And I opened up a company that specifically specializes in short-term rentals, long-term rentals, and vacation home loans. So apparently that was a niche that needed to be filled with knowledgeable people. I've got knowledgeable, well-established loan originators on my team. I have some that I've trained that were previous investors of mine. So they come with a wealth of knowledge of being their own investor, as well as being a seasoned loan originator trained by me. So you're not just working with somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about in investment properties. They all know how to manage them and everything like that. That's awesome. And what I love about you too, Brenna, is you're an investor as well, and you have a passion for short-term rentals. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started in this journey? Yeah. So my family has owned cabins in the Smoky Mountain area for a long time. So I've always been around it. Back in like the 80s and 90s, it was really popular to have a management company over it. And that was kind of really the only way. And honestly, I remember I tell a story. I remember one time I wanted to book a cabin because ours was booked already. And I had to go on Craigslist. And then I had to meet this guy in a gas station, shady, 
and get the key from him to go to the cabin. So it's like, it's, it's come so much, such a long way since then. But yeah, so that's how I started out in it. That's how I knew the Smoky Mountain area really well. And then I wanted to expand my knowledge in all tourist areas, like on the East Coast first and then now the West Coast. And so I have one in the Panhandle. We have a property here. My next place I'm probably looking might be New Mexico. I don't want to give too much away because, but those, that's the area me and my husband are looking currently. So yeah, we just, we look, I research areas. I go to those areas. I figure out what restaurants are good there. It's all, it's not just about buying the property. You need to be a good host and know the area and recommend things so you can be personable. So it's like, it's this whole thing that we can show you, introduce you to. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And that guest experience is a huge, it makes a huge difference. So there are different types of loans and loan products, right, Brenna? Yes. All right. So let's talk about it. First of all, we have a few different members inside of the community. Some of them are full-time employed. Some of them are entrepreneurs, just a variety of different aspects to their I guess the way they procure their livelihood, right? And I know that's going to impact the types of loans that they potentially can qualify for. So let us know what are some of the products that are out there? What are the numbers looking like? I know some things were favorable last year. They weren't so favorable now and vice versa. So what's tell us, give us the scoop on which loans we should be looking at for our phase of life right now. Yeah. So it just depends on like what stage you're in, right? So if you call this, I'm going to say, what are your long-term goals? Let's rewind and see if they match up with your short-term goals. If you're just starting out for the first time and you're weary and you're just wanting to get your feet wet and you don't know if you're going to like it or not, possibly like the second home loan, as long as you intend to vacation there at least 14 days out of the year, and that's your primary intent, and then you can rent it out. That way you can get your feet wet, be able to not be as green, see how it really works to see if you really like it. That is a low payment with a 10% down. And then if you are experienced, you're like, all right, I love this area. I already have one. I want to get another one. You can do 15% down investment only. The new 2023 conforming loan limit is up to 726.2. So 726,200. That is the loan amount, guys. Your purchase price would probably be in the 8, 8, 15, 20 range. So keep that in mind. So that's quite a bit, a large loan amount to be conventional. Anything over that and you're doing investment only would be considered a jumbo loan. And that's traditionally 20% down. So it just depends on what your goals are, what price range you want to be in. We also have DSCR. So let's say, hey, I want to expand my portfolio as quickly as possible. Let's say we're a little down the road in the year in May. You've already bought three properties and you're capped debt to income ratio wise then you can look at the DSCR loan because that loan does not go off of your personal income or personal debt. It goes off the of property or purchasing's proposed monthly rental income and the proposed monthly mortgage payment. So that one's a good option if you're trying to expand as quickly as possible. I always say try to get the conventional financing first if you can because it is an easier loan. It is better terms. But DSCR is always optional for you. And then you can also close in an LC with a DSCR loan. Oh, I love that. I love those recommendations. And so what if, for instance, we can't use a DSCR or a second home loan? What other options are there? So DSCR, most people should be able to because it doesn't go off of your personal income, right? So when you do a DSCR, it's basically an asset-based loan. You have to show 20% down. We do have DSCR products that are allow gift funds for that product. Normal investment only loans do not allow for gift funds. So keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. And then we look at the property or the area you're purchasing. So if it's a two bed, two bath with a view, we're going to look at all two bed, two baths with a view within a three to five mile radius from that property that has sold within the past year. Okay. That that rental income. And that's how we come up with the rental income for that property. So I have a lot of people are like, Hey, my husband, has the W-2 job. I have my own little business, but I haven't filed for two years, let's say. And they still have good credit. They can do a DSCR loan. So that might be a better option if they're trying to get creative and they don't have that employment history or their debt to income ratio is capped. Now, conventional wise investment, if you can qualify debt to income wise, let's say your debt to income ratio is a little high. That's fine because you can use what's known as proposed rental income on that 
property that you're purchasing. So kind of like DSCR, it's just adding to that monthly income of your W-2 job, let's say. So there is a way to offset that mortgage payment in an investment only loan. And so your debt to income ratio would obviously decrease after we put that in place. Second, home loans, you cannot use projected rental income. That goes off of strictly your personal debt to income ratio. Oh, interesting. So that is an interesting difference. It sounds like there are some advantages that DSCRs may have that's not in place for second home loan. However, the DSCR typically higher in interest rates than the yeah, DSCR. I mean, like you have to think the investors that provide the DSCR loan, they're qualifying you based off of hoping that you do well and manage that property well. So with higher risk comes higher interest rates. Gotcha. Um, keep that in mind. And then if you guys are just starting and you really don't have anything and you don't even have a primary residence yet, there that is a very like a longer game but you can get into it because you can buy your primary residence, live there for a year, and then you can rent it out after a year and then go on to possibly rent again or buy another primary and then be able to cash, start cash flowing to get those investment properties. Yeah, I love that strategy. I know we had a cardiologist in our group who did not have a primary. And so that was kind of new to me because you can't get a secondary if you don't have a primary. It's like, oh, Duh, yeah, you right? Can. You can get a second home and not own your primary. Oh, you you can, you said? Yep. Oh, so with the second home loan or yep. you would need it? Okay. Okay. So that's good to know. That's good to know. So if you're out there. <laughs> now guys, if you've heard that you can't, it's because the lenders have what's known as an overlay. Oh. So we like strictly underwrite to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are the buyers on the secondary market, right? Then some lenders will have what's known as overlay. So rules on top of Fannie Mae's original rules. So if they don't allow you, that's just because that's their own rule. Fannie and Freddie allow you to have a second home loan, even if you don't own your primary residence. Mm, I love it. Okay. So guys, that's why it's so important. Like I said before, to shop around until you get that yes, which I absolutely love that you're able to reiterate that to me. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about down payments. What are some ways, some creative ways that you have seen individuals come up with down payments? Because I got really excited when you said the DSCR, certain products you're allowed to use gift funding, which I didn't know about because I'm not a mortgage expert like yourself. That's why I've got you here with us. So give us the scoop. What are some ways you're seeing individuals come up with down payments? And what are the down payment ranges you have seen for the different loan products? Yeah, so I mean, you can get a down payment as a gift if the loan allows for it. If the loan does not allow for it, you need to let that, like if you have a partner or something and they're not going to be on the loan with you, you need to let those funds season in your account for at least two months. Because if not, they'd show it as a large deposit, then you'd have to explain the gift. And then if it was a loan that did not allow that, you wouldn't be able to use those funds. So keep that in mind. You always want to ask, does this loan allow gift funds? Conventional investment is a better deal for you guys. However, they do not allow gift funds. So keep that in mind. So I just say, if you have to get money, like some people get married and they get a lot of money from their wedding, let that season for two months. So you don't have to explain that large deposit. A large deposit guys is anything that's 50% or more of your monthly income in your checking account or small deposits right after another that equal that. Yes, I absolutely love it. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the range. So there's 10% down, that's the second home loan. And this is something that I think is kind of revolutionary. I absolutely love the 10% down. We are not financial advisors, guys. Of course, it's not gonna be a good fit for everyone, but that is my ride or die. I love that 10% down. <laughs> Put as little, I want to hold on to my money. So I put as little down as possible. As a matter of fact, I know we were able to get a three, three and a half percent down back in the day. We have house hopped. My kids are like, don't let us move again. We house hopped, we house hacked. We did all the things for a year or two in one place and then rented it out the next year or two in another place, then rented it out and then moved on. And we leveraged as little down as possible and to get these amazing homes. So the cash on cash return on those were amazing. However, it's not something a lot of people are talking about, Bruna. And I just want to reemphasize guys, this is investment property. 
you're using 10% down. Everyone I speak with says 20% down. It's an investment 20% down. And so oftentimes it's the language that we're approaching the lender with saying, I'm going to buy an investment property. They're going to say 20% down. I need everyone to know about this 10% down product. Who qualifies for that? So yeah, like you don't want to commit mortgage fraud, right? You don't want to go in and say it's a second home and then not ever vacation there and use it just for an investment only. A second home, you need to vacation there at least 14 days out of the year. Keep in mind, if you have two second homes, then that equals 28 days, 14 for one, 14 for the other. So keep that in mind. You do have to visit there, vacation there, and it has to be the person that's on that loan. It can't be your sister that's not on the loan. Right. And then Fannie and Freddie allow you to rent it out when you are not occupying it. Again, some lenders say you cannot rent this second home out at all. And mm. if they do say that, then that's just their rules. And it means that they don't specialize in that specific product. They don't really, their investors don't really like that kind of product. So you do want to work with somebody that knows what you're talking about and trying to help you with your goals. I love that. Okay. So yeah, so those are the rules around it. And I love that. I would love to vacation in my vacation home 14 days out of the year plus. So that I check off that box. What about the other parameters? What's an estimated credit score that's favorable? I don't know if that's something we can speak about. What's What are some of the DTIs that are going to be favorable? A lot of mm -hmm. our members have student loans that they're duking it out with. Could you give us a little bit of insight there? Yeah. So your minimum credit score for conventional can go down to 620, obviously a little bit higher would be preferable. And then your interest rate will be a little lower if your interest if your credit score is higher. And then your debt to income can go up to 50% if Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac approve it for the conventional. For jumbo loans, it can go up to 45%. Some lenders will say 43, we're at 45%. So we run those numbers for you and let you know. DSCR loans require at least a 680 credit score. So you do have to have a higher credit score than that 620. Conventional is a little more lenient on that. Okay, awesome. And as far as other parameters, would you say for the second home loan, is this strictly limited to W-2 workers? Or what if someone has had their business for years and years? Like oh, what yeah. are the rules there? Yeah, it's just any income that you make. It doesn't have to be W-2. So okay. a lot of our buyers are have complicated tax returns, like an LLC within an LLC within a business, like that can get complicated. So we're used to that. Their rule of thumb is just to have two years history of being self-employed. So if you're not, you're, this is your second year, well, guess what? The DSCR loan would probably work for you until you get to that two-year mark. So just rule of thumb, you want to have two years of employment history for conventional, two months bank statements things of that nature. Okay. And again, that is for both conventional and DSCR or just? Just conventional. Okay. Conventional. Okay. And so the, again, the advantage of DSCR is you're not going to dive into the personal income as much more. So oh, we don't do it property. at all. We don't, don't look okay. at it at all. So it's good to leverage that loan to add to your portfolio as you're trying to grow your portfolio, but your debt to income ratio is capped for that year until you file your tax return and show that rental income on your properties. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So what's your thoughts <laughs> in an, on investing in a container home, Brenna? <laughs> I know the lenders love that. As of right now, you cannot get conventional or DSCR financing <laughs> on and container property. However, I love the, I love <laughs> however, you may want to save up money to, to put all cash in. You may find a hard money lender that can help you, but as of right now, container homes are not supported as a residential type of property that can be lent on. Okay. So let's talk about that a little bit, Brenna, because I know this is going to extrapolate and expand to maybe like a glamping dome or a yurt. Let's talk about some of the ones that wouldn't necessarily qualify and some of the ones that would, and maybe we wouldn't expect it, like maybe a tiny house. So tell us what are some of the rules around that? So anything that's normal can probably be <laughs> normal. So if I've seen these treehouse properties go up, which is really cool. I don't know if I'd personally want to stay in one because I'm a little scared that a tree is just holding up all of our weight in a bed and all that <laughs> stuff. And I wouldn't even dance in there. So yurts, Glamping, 
tiny <laughs> homes are included in that. However, I'm pretty sure you can get commercial loans on a tiny, like if you're building like five tiny homes in a little area, I think some banks may do that, but they're very few and far between. Um, and a tiny home, I believe, is considered anything under 550 square feet, 500 to 550 square feet. Yeah. Yeah. And but and then single wides. Most places do not do single wides. There are some banks that do. It's just a higher interest rate. So usually double wides and up. Awesome. Okay. So that's good to know because I saw a really cute Airstream on Airbnb. I was like, yeah, there's going to be no lending on that. Oh, I would love that. But yeah, you're not going to find maybe an auto loan. <laughs> right. And that's the thing too, because some single wides, it depends on the state. Those are considered vehicles. And so it's more of a title. Yeah. yeah, a title. Yeah, right, right. Okay. So how far does a second home have to be from the primary? Ooh, Great that's a question, question that I get asked all the time. Give it to us, Brenna. All right. So there is an exception to the rule. However, I'll tell you the rule of thumb is usually 45 miles away from your primary residence, but I'm going to give the Smoky Mountains as an example. Smoky Mountains houses Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, Sevierville, all of that is in what's known as Sevier County. Another town in Sevier County is called Seymour. Seymour is mostly comprised of primary residences. It doesn't have the moonshine. It doesn't have the mountainous views. It doesn't have the cabins. It doesn't have the great restaurants. I'm pretty sure me and a realtor the other day were like, where can we eat in Seymour? I'm like, nowhere. So it's completely different than Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg, right? But it's less than 45 miles away and it's in the same town. In that situation, there is that exception to the rule because it is totally different than your primary residence. And then on the other end of that spectrum, let's say you live in Destin and you want a second home in Panama City. Those are 45 miles apart. However, it's the same crystal clear blue waters, same restaurants, basically same type of vibe. So you're going to have to have a really good explanation to that underwriter as to why you want a second home there if you live somewhere almost exactly like it. I love that. I love that. So that is the exception, guys. So it's not necessarily one size fits all, but it's kind of the intention behind it. It sounds like DSCR question mark. And Brenna, I think we just dove right in without even giving the definition or anything like that. So could you remind us what is a DSCR loan? Yeah. DSCR stands for debt service coverage ratio. It does not go off your personal income or personal debt. So it's not a conventional conforming loan. It goes off the property you're purchasing's proposed monthly rental income and the proposed monthly mortgage payment. Usually what they look for is a one-to-one -one ratio, which means if your mortgage payment is going to be $3,000, then your rental income has to come back at $3,000 or more. And that's pretty much it. You put the 20% down for that loan. If you hear of people doing 15% down, it's like a unicorn and they probably won't be able to get it closed because I've yet to find an investor that is organized and does the 15% down loan. So keep that in mind. It's a great proper product to leverage if your debt to income ratio is capped. So if you can qualify for those conventional loans first, that's what I would do. But you can always look at the DSCR loan if you need other financing other than that conventional type of loan. Awesome. If we own our own company in this corp, what are the general requirements for a DSCR loan on a small multifamily? And do you service San Diego? <laughs> three, three wrong question, rather. We just opened in California. So we oh, are there. breaking news. Yes. So I'm not sure if you're meaning, can you close it in your S Corp? If so, then yes, you can. If you own your S Corp and you want a DSCR loan and you just want your personal name, then it doesn't matter if it's an S Corp. It doesn't matter because we're not looking at your personal income. But if you're asking if you want to close it in your S Corp, you are allowed to do that. Awesome. And I would say also talk to your tax accountant, your yes. real estate tax accountant about that as well. If you intend on doing cost segregation studies to offset your passive or active losses. I don't know all the terms, but make <laughs> sure you talk to your tax accountant as well, because I got spanked for trying to close my escort. <laughs> 
All right. Next question. For a first-time investor, is it best to get a primary property or is an investment property okay? Oh, so that's a good question. It depends on your personal situation. So if you call us, we'll go over that with you and see like if you have room to have both, great. Or if you want to leverage that one primary residence and maybe rent it out after a year and you also have room to get that other pro that other second home or investment property, then cool. If you only have an option for one, I would suggest if you want to start cash flowing immediately, stay where you're at, where you're renting, then go ahead and get that investment property or what have you, if that's the only funds that you have for that down payment or your debt to income ratio would be capped after that. And then once you start cash flowing, save that money to eventually possibly get a primary residence if that's what you're wanting. Awesome. And I do love the way that she said, Brenna, that it depends on your personal situation. So there are definitely things to take into consideration there as well. House hacking. I like house hacking. I tell all of my new grads from med school, if you can pull off house hacking, man, I would do that all day, every day. When I first started, I went and got the big house. I thought I was this big woman and I was about to live my best life. I was about to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Those student loans reminded me that yeah. not so great. <laughs> so if you can pull off house hacking and if you can only pull off one at, in the meantime, I would, a house with a casita or a house with a, a finished basement or something like that, I, I would take that into consideration. But it depends, of course, where you are in life. We don't know all the details, but just something I'm putting out there. Okay. How many second home loans can you have? As many as you want, as long as you're able to vacation there at every one for 14 days out of the year. So you can have one at the Smoky Mountains. You can have one in the Panhandle. You can have one in San Diego, things of that nature. Now, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac allow you to have up to 10 max financed residential properties. So I emphasize finance and residential because you could own three properties free and clear and you have like seven other loans, well, that's fine because you only have seven financed. You still have room for three more if your debt to income ratio allows for it. I emphasize residential because a lot of you are those doctors and you ask me, I get a question from you guys a lot. Well, does my office practice count? No, because it's commercial in nature. The property has to be residential in nature, such as you would stay there, shower there, use the bathroom there, things of that nature. So keep that in mind. It does not count for your commercial properties. Okay. Awesome. And I think that's such a great question as well. I would say what has stopped me personally from like getting all 10 when I was like getting close to it was debt to income. So that's sometimes where you end up transitioning from <laughs> conventional to a DSCR, because that's usually the bottleneck. You can probably sustain 10 if your debt to income was able to support it. So I think that's going to be the bottleneck as well. I bought three multifamily properties under my name and we're looking to buy again for STR, MTR in the same area. So all in Atlanta, do we have to, do we qualify for 10% down as a second home? We would be using the home since I have family in Atlanta. Should we use my husband now to ensure that we get the 10% percent down. And I do know her background a little bit. She's in California. So what are your thoughts? Did you get that? Yeah, if you don't reading? already have a second home there and you're not like vacationing at these other places and you can have a vacation home there again, as long as you intend to vacation there. So if you want to stay there, check up on your properties, spend time with your family, you can definitely do that. Okay. Awesome. Was there no down payment? I'm not exactly sure. Do you know? I mean, if yeah. I mean, you can get a gift for, so, okay, let's okay. look at a second home loan. Okay. If you're just putting down 10%, then 5% has to come from your own pocket and the remaining 5% plus closing costs can be gifted to you. However, when you put 20% down, for some reason, that rule goes out the window. They don't care. And 100% of it can be gifted to you, plus closing costs can be gifted to you. So there is that way of getting 100% without coming out of your own pocket. For DSCR loans, we do have DSCR products that allow for gift funds as well. So again, nothing really out of your pocket if you do have somebody to be able to gift that to you. Okay, awesome. So gifting is going to be the strategy. So what are some other, and this is a question that I know is near and dear to many in our, our community. What are some creative strategies that you've seen down payments, individuals come up with down payments? I know that we've discussed HELOCs and loans before. 
outside of that, any anything else that you've seen recently to get our wheels turning? We're always looking for ideas. I mean, use what your talents are, right? So I talked to somebody the other day and she created an Etsy account and she does quilting or something. And now she's selling these quilts for like a lot of money and she's saving that money to save up for down payment. So a lot of people I see, well, what's creative financing? And I promise you, you're going to spend more time wasting trying to find a different creative finance option versus like actually looking at your options in front of you that are easily obtained with your lender. And other ways I've seen people do DoorDash or Instacart to save up money, but creative financing besides a HELOC, you can do that cash out refinance. There are those hard money loans and that's exactly what they are. It's not easy money. It's a high interest rate that is attached to those. And you want to try to pay that off as quickly as possible. So you'd be refinancing out of that anyway into a normal traditional loan. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And I've seen that used as well, but you know, that turnaround time, you want to get that paid off within a few months as quickly as possible. Okay. So you mentioned side hustles, you've mentioned gifting, you've mentioned hard money loans. I've actually seen someone use small business loans as well. Any thoughts about that? You can use that if you're closing it in the business loan, but a small business loan is strictly for that business. So it wouldn't be able to be used in your personal name. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, it was actually a DSCR loan and the small business loan was geared towards that. So as far as DTI, are your student loans counting against your DTI or no? So yeah, so it depends. If you've got like a monthly set amount, then that'll pull in the credit report. If you don't, we can get a letter from the people that house your student loans and say the minimum payment would be this. Depends on what you're paying. Like if it's income-based and a lot of times that's lower than what the credit report is reporting. So we always check with you. But then there's also doctors that have contracts that the employer will pay for their student loans while they're doing their residency or what have you. So I do see a lot of that as well, but the student loans will count against your debt to income ratio. We just have to get that accurate payment per month. Awesome. What about other things, credit cards, vehicle loans, what all is counted in the DTI? Yeah. So credit cards, like you said, auto loans, mortgages, student loans, a home equity line of credit, If you do owe child support or alimony, that will be counted as well in your monthly debt to income ratio. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So that's good to know. Will you be offering any 10% down or less loans in Mississippi in the future? I've had a few inquiries about Mississippi. So my mom's family is from Mississippi. So I don't know if that's Oh my gosh. (laughs) So what's up with that? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I know the area well. I know the casinos on the boats pretty well is what my grandmother knows them very well, but it, <laughs> it's in, it's like default has occurred to me, but it's not one of my top priority states, but I can do that DSCR loan there for you. Okay. So you said you can do a DSCR in Mississippi? Yes. Okay. All right. Dr. Lachey, there you go. I love it. I love it. Credit card liquidation. I think she's meaning is that a source of down payment? So it could be if you let it season in your account for two months or that credit card, but then would count against your debt to income ratio. It cannot be used if you show that large deposit, it wouldn't be able to be used as a down payment because a down payment for funds has to come from a secured source. And usually that's through real estate, right? So a HELOC is a secured line of credit as opposed to a revolving line of credit from a credit card is not. Oh, okay. So this is good stuff, guys. Oh my goodness. Great questions. Great conversation, Brenna. I'm so grateful that you are here. So Brenna, did you suggest investment property or buying a home first for a first time investor? It depends on your personal scenario. So let's get the other end of the spectrum. Let's say your rent payment is astronomical. It's like 6,000 a month and that's really hurting your debt to income ratio. Then I'd say, okay, let's look at a primary residence first. You can find a very low down payment. 100% of it can be gifted to you. And then let's look at getting that lower payment for that mortgage. And then let's look at that investment property. If you're renting right now, you don't have a primary residence and your rent's pretty sustainable. Let's say it's like 800, 1200. I don't know if there's any 800 a month rents out there anymore, but 
then I'll say, yeah, like, let's just keep that for right now. Save some money to go into that investment property. So it just depends on your personal situation. And that's why we go over it with you. Like we ask you those personal questions. We ask what your long-term goals are and things of that nature. Yeah, I love it. And I love that you do some of that planning, pre-planning first to get those questions answered, because that could be a loaded question. For instance, if I'm single and I'm like, it's just me, I may prefer one strategy versus if I got five kids (laughs) and three dogs, then I'm going to want a different strategy. So it really, it really depends. I know my sister who's a travel nurse, she's pretty much nomadic. I could totally see her getting a, an investment property and she's doing her travel nurse thing and letting the property that she purchased be an investment that she can generate revenue and have a different stream of income. So it it really depends. You're absolutely right, Brenna. Brenna is the founder of the mortgage shop. Uh, she works also with Avery Carl, Carl, the short-term shop. I saw Avery ringing that bell on Wall Street last week. Yes. That was amazing. So doing big things. Again, what I love about Brenna is she figures it out, right? Everything is outable. So she'll let you know. She doesn't pull punches. <laughs> she'll let you know if you know something can be done and what strategy to look at or if it's a little bit of a waiting game until we can get to where we're wanting to get to. So definitely tap in with her. And what I love about Brenna, she's an educator in the space also. So she's big on making sure that we know what our options truly are. So I love that. So I did put our Facebook group in there, financing short-term rentals. If they want to join that, you can ask me any questions there that you want financing wise, and I'll answer them for you. But also we do anybody that is part of that group, we're offering appraisal credits up to $500. So if you are purchasing, help you with that. So you don't have to have as much money out of pocket at closing. And then we are also offering our clients that close with us. We partnered with a licensed CPA firm and we are teaching you four courses to get you prepared for your tax returns and really know what it means. So we have a course on short-term rentals, everything you need to know about tax season and all of that fun stuff, long-term rentals, cost segregation studies and material participation. So all of those four courses you'll have access to, you can study it at your will, but it's all absolutely free with you if you come with a mortgage shop, because our job isn't just to get your mortgage, it's help generate that generational wealth for you. And by doing that, we have to educate you. I promise guys, if you're an educated buyer, you're going to be an outstanding investor. And that's what we're trying to get for you guys. Oh, near and dear to my heart. If you take a loan from retirement account, does that need to be seasoned too? That is a great question. No, it does not. You can take a loan from your 401k account, retirement account, and it will not count against your debt to income ratio, nor do you have to let it season. So good to know. Look at all these little nuances, right? Like how can someone keep track of all questions? Oh my goodness. Okay. So second part to credit card liquidation. What if it's a business credit card that doesn't report on your personal credit report, that won't count towards your uh, debt to income ratio. Yeah. So yeah, that's, you can do that. You just have to let it season in your account for two months because they want you to explain that large deposit. And if you can't, and you say it's from a credit card, they won't allow you to use that. So you do have to let those funds season. I do want to preface guys, please be careful with liquidating a full credit card because those interest rates can skyrocket and you want to make sure that you can pay those interest rates. I was talking to somebody else trying to help them with their financial planning to decrease their debt. And one of their credit cards was at 32%. I was like, oh my gosh, that's insane. So if you got 30,000 out and it's 32%, that, oh, that's mind blowing. That was the interest rate? Yeah. Okay. If I'm not sure if I missed this, but what state do you issue loans in? Oh, there's so many now that I'm going to try to name all of them. But if you go to mortgage.shop, literally just www.mortgage.shop, if you, it's right there on the front page, all the states we lend in, we can do conventional in, I think it's like 12 states now, including California, Montana. I'm trying to list the Western states first, Arizona, Colorado. Nice. And then in the East Coast, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Texas, Ohio, 
Minnesota, Illinois, North Carolina, and we're about to be open in South Carolina and New Mexico. Nice, nice. Is there a minimum square footage to finance a vacation rental condo? We haven't talked about condos. That's a good question. Usually it's still around that 550 to 600 square foot. And then some lenders, so these DSCR lenders may have a loan cap guys of 100,000. So keep that in mind. What do you mean a loan cap of 100,000? So like you can't, or a minimum loan amount of 100,000. You can't go below 100,000 loan amount for those DSCR loans. Got it. Okay. So if it's a vacation condo, I know that there's a difference between a condo and a condo tell. Yes. So traditionally the areas we specialize in are short-term rental areas or markets. And that means traditionally those condos are going to be non-warrantable. Non-warrantable just means there are more second home units and investment units than there are primary residence units. Okay. They can be deemed non-warrantable for other things like the HOA being in current litigation where they're the ones being sued upon, or let's say it's a beach condo and a hurricane hit and caused damage. It would be deemed non-warrantable until those damages are fixed. But normally it's just because there's more second home and investment units. Now, a condo tell is exactly what it sounds like. It acts and operates as a hotel. The condos that I give that example to is the condo tells in Miami. Most of those condos on the beach are condo tells. You pull up, you go in, they hand you a key card to every single unit in that project. That means everybody and their mom that works there is going to have access to your unit versus you putting a passcode on the door lock to be able to get in. So that's the difference. Condo tells are usually 30% down. Okay. Okay. And those are typically some type of commercial loan. Do DSCR loans? We can do uh, the DSCR loan on a condo hotel, but again, it's going to be at least 30% down on those properties. Okay. Yeah. I know someone who, in the group who's purchasing from Vegas, a condo hotel there as well. So similar situation. And what I thought was concerning was not only do they have access, but oftentimes they have like a mandatory property manager and it's like, Where's the spread? (laughs) And that's why like it's more down payment, right? Because these lenders are like, well, this person's not really going to be managing it themselves. There's all these other people are going to have control over what it looks like, what the grounds. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason for the higher down payment. Okay. So that makes sense. Did I ask about a HELOC for the entire, can HELOC be used for the entire 10% down? Yes, it can. We just have to take whatever you pull out and put that against your proposed debt. So just keep that in mind, whatever your HELOC balance goes up to, we usually can take that interest only payment and apply it to your monthly debt to income ratio. So just keep that in mind. Okay. Okay. That's good. Good to know. Awesome. So any final words, Brenda, any words of encouragement? Because you know what? We're hearing the word out on the street that times are hard and maybe I'm just not going to invest this year. I'm just going to wait it out. So the prices come down. I've heard all of the stories, Brenna, any words of wisdom that you would like to impart on the people? Yes. I'm about to get on my soapbox y'all. Come on. Times are going to be, times are going to be hard. If you never take that first step, always, they will, times will always be hard. If you don't take that first step, I encourage you to be educated and don't be like, look at the, everybody's like, oh my gosh, the interest rates. Be educated behind what that means. So when you call us, I say, let's say this, your interest rate is this, but the payment is this, what we look at the payment with you and see if that makes sense. It's going to be different for everybody, dependent upon your cash flow goals for the month. Some of my seasoned investors right now will just get a property and they'll break even because they are planning on refinancing within the next year. With that being said, People are like, oh, I wish I'd have bought in 2021, blah, blah, blah. They're going to say that again right now because this is what happens. Interest rates go up, right? So then less people start offering on the properties, which means less competition. So when we had the COVID rates, as I call them, the really low interest rates, there could have been 75 to 100 offers on one property. And it's just like, it's really rare. And I saw somebody like people offer a hundred thousand over asking. A hundred thousand for everyone's in I'm going to need you to come back to me. If you're multitasking a hundred thousand over asking my members in my community were getting beat out. I was like, I'm sorry, we're not doing that. Not today. (laughs) No. So my experienced investors are like, yeah, I'm going to break even right now because they are 
they don't have competition. They're going in and asking, or maybe if it's been on the market a long time, or under asking, or they're asking for under seller credits, asking. depending upon what it is. Just like that, that years. happened fast, didn't it? Just like yep. that, like from over asking to under asking, less than a year. Like, oh my gosh. So they close yeah. on it. And guess what? Now interest rates are probably going to lower. You're probably going to start to see interest rates lower in May a little bit. They're not going to go back to what COVID was, but you'll start to see them level off, right? And then guess what? Everybody else is going to join the rat race again. And there are going to be more offers on properties. And then it's more competitive. Well, Bob here, that's an experienced investor, bought when the interest rates are a little bit higher because they had no competition. Now he's refinancing. And guess what? He already has that property. He's already cash flowing and he doesn't have to compete with somebody. So always keep that in mind. Don't follow the crowd like, oh, if the interest rate's high, then I'm not. Well, why is it high? Ask yourself, have I looked at the numbers with my lender yet? Have I ran the numbers with them to see if it makes sense? Or if it's just a little too steep, if the numbers aren't working, maybe I need to look at a different property or price range or different area. There's different areas that are cheaper than some. So there's always that option. But you will not grow as an investor until you educate yourself as an investor. A lot of these people looked very smart buying during COVID because the interest rate was low. However, that's not like that anymore. You have to be educated. You have to run the numbers. You have to learn how to run the numbers. And that's why we don't just do the mortgage. We educate you behind that and help you do that so you can make sure that you feel good about that investment going forward. And now I'll step off my soapbox. So good guys, did we bring in the heat? So what is a good area or market to start in as a first time investor? I'm in California. My heart goes out to you. <laughs> yeah. So that's a loaded question too, Brenna, but go ahead, tap in. What do you think? Yeah. What's a good area to start? And so it's obvious to me by that question, you're not looking to invest in California. I know a lot of people are looking outside of California. California has exorbitant purchase prices. So I'm assuming so. It depends on what your purchase price is like range. So if you know, you're know you in that 700 to anything above 700, the Smoky Mountains might be good for you. Destin, Panama City, the same thing. Panama City is a little cheaper than Destin. On the East Coast, other cheaper places like Outer Banks, there's Boone, Banner Elk, Blowing Rock, which is in North Carolina. It's more of a adventure hiking place outdoors. You can bring your dogs to the national park as opposed to not being able to in the Smoky Mountains. So there is that option. It's a lot cheaper than the Smoky Mountains like Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg. There is Gulf Shores, Alabama. That's a place that I'm really about to go look at because the prices are cheaper and it's still crystal clear blue waters down there. And it's a cool area. Like one of my loan originators sits down there. So we're pretty proficient in that area. Texas is always a good investment. I could go on about it. There's obviously I would always, I always want to invest in Montana. However, the prices there are pretty high too. So again, if you talk to us, it just depends on where your purchase price range is. And I can kind of give you guidance after that. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that you went over, okay, this is adventure, outdoor adventure. This is a beachy area. So it really, you're right. It depends on what your you know, what your goal is. Cause ultimately I believe, I really believe that you should look at investing places that you would enjoy going to. Exactly. I know it's not always ideal, but you want to enjoy it too, right? You have to be there 14 days out of the year anyway. So force, force vacation. I definitely recommend it. If, if cycling and mountain biking is your jam, look <laughs> in those areas that are outdoor adventure. And if it's the crystal clear blue waters, the Emerald Coast is, is amazing. Absolutely amazing. So I love it. Where in North Carolina? So you named a lot of places in North Carolina. I would love for you to go over them again. So Marcia, we have a lot of people investing in like the North Carolina, quote unquote, Smokies as yeah. well. And then there are some areas also. So go ahead, Brenna, let us know. So I forget the terms, my husband's in wildland fire, but on the Smoky Mountains on the Tennessee side, it's a national park and you can't bring your dogs in there and all that stuff. But on the North Carolina side, I think it's just called a, nat a national forest and mm -hmm. you are allowed to bring your dogs and go biking. You can't bike in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. So on the opposite side, right across the line, is that Boone Banner Elk Blowing Rock. And those all are very adventurous. Like I've rock climbed there. We hike there. My husband's there a lot with fire, clearing land and stuff. So that area is pretty adventurous. Dog lovers, it's cool. They have water bowls on the sides of the street for your dogs. I'm always a fan of that. 
and Outer Banks. So if you want a beach on the East Coast, Outer Banks is a really good location because it is cheaper than the beaches that are in Panhandle or Emerald Coast and Gulf Shores. I think it's cheaper than that. But you have to keep in mind, guys, it's not going to be blue water. So I vacationed in Outer Banks my whole life growing up and it's you can't see through the water. So it's more, really? yeah, the food there is awesome because the fishing there is awesome, right? Because the murkier the water, apparently, the better the fishing. But the food is great. If y'all want to have really good food and just a good time on the beach, it's very family oriented. It's a really good place. And then the lighthouses there are really cool. It's a historical part of that place. The Wright brothers are from there. So it's all encompassing. I think I really like that area, but it is cheaper. Okay. Okay. I love it. Okay. So can you take cash out financing a second home that you already own outright? Yes, you can. Okay. You understand. So if you want to do a cash out refinance on a second home or investment property or primary residence unit, you can. However, again, I'm going to say what's your long-term goals. It might be a HELOC would be better for you. If you have a very low interest rate on your primary mortgage, you may want to keep that and not touch it because a cash out refinance will change your interest rate for your whole loan at that point. If you're wanting to pull from it multiple times, then that HELOC is going to be your best option. But if it's like a one and done and you're fine with that, then definitely a refinance will get that for you. If it's owned outright, so there's no oh, interest yeah, rate to start, right? Yeah. So what, does your answer change at all with that? No, I think there's cash out limitations for Fannie Mae. You mean you obviously have to follow the conforming loan amounts, but it's 75% loan to value cash out, regardless of you having a lien on that property or not. Okay. Okay. So a HELOC versus a second home loan, not a, a second mortgage, right? Is yeah. I mean, if you own it outright, a HELOC might be better because you can pull from it multiple times. A refinance is one and done. Got it. So it just depends on what it is you're trying to accomplish. So I think pulling out many times may be ideal, but it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. You already know we are going to give out the goods. Guys, tap in with Brenna. You all have access to her links. If you don't, holler at me. I am happy to share that with you. Anyway, Brenna, massive thank you to you. Definitely tap in with Brenna. She always has a lot of amazing education stuff going on. And I'm going to, I joined the Facebook group, Brenna, and I look forward to joining all the courses that you guys are offering as well. So thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.